0: Heavenly Father, prepare us for your word. We pray that this word would not return void, but instead it would transform and change us as your body. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, unknown to me, uh, my freshman year experience was a little experiment by my university. Uh, The goal was to bridge the divides. And so what they did is on my floor in my dorm room, uh, they tried this experiment uh, to see if that, what they preached, inclusion, different backgrounds, getting along would actually work. So on my floor, there were roommates and the roommates were this. There was one uh, roommate pair where the girl was a Muslim and her roommate was Jewish. And then down the hall, there was another roommate pair. The girl was from Manhattan, urban Manhattan, and her roommate uh, was from rural Iowa. There was another roommate pair that one was a Republican far right, and the other was a Democrat. And then there was me and my roommate, and my roommate was an atheist, and I was a Christian. And so... They wanted to see what would happen when all these types of people got together. Let's just say it was a very interesting experiment on my floor my freshman year. Lots of lively discussion. Uh, Let's say some of the roommates didn't get along and didn't last very long. Uh, But I can say the good news is Jeremy and I, uh, my roommate, we lived together for all four years of college. We had many great debates. We got along great and high respect for one another. See, this was something that was appreciated in the college institution. There wouldn't be this division, that there would be tolerance, there would be unity, there would be groups coming together that varied all in unity. And this is a great message. This is a message we wanna hear. We live in a time of division, if I'm right, right now. We see division in family gatherings, do we not? Some people get disinvited to their family gatherings now because of certain things. I saw recently that many YMCAs will no longer show uh, news programs in the locker rooms uh, because there's been fights that have broken out uh, in YMCAs throughout the country. So they have banned showing news programs on the televisions. Shouldn't church be that, right? And church should be a respite, a place of peace and love, not division. And that's Jesus, right? And Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Gather the little children to me. I mean, that's the picture of Jesus, right? Is Jesus divisive? Is he? Surely, Jesus isn't divisive. Is he? And if he is, is that, is that a good thing? Well, let's find out, shall we? Let's look at God's word and see what it says. And what Jesus says. We're in John chapter 8. I'm going to be referring to a little bit of the section before um, this too. So know that uh, if you have your Bibles, you can look on it too. It's on page 895 in the Black Bibles over there. It's also printed in your worship guide. I'm going to be reading from John 8, 48 through 58. Please pay attention as we look at God's word. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yeah, I do not seek my own glory. You are not yet 50 years old and have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. The word of the Lord. Well, if you're just joining us, we've been going through the book of John. John is the evangelist, and what he's trying to say with being an evangelist is he's trying to show through this book, through signs that Jesus gave, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And he's trying to convey that message to people. So in this portion of scripture, it's what we call the climactic signs of John's message. The climactic signs. It really is kind of the pinnacle of who is Jesus? What is his character? What is his nature? And these climactic signs are marked by radical confrontations. See, Jesus is revealing the essence of his ministry. And the essence of his ministry has profound consequences of what it means to really follow him or not follow him. To be one of his disciples. See, people have been gathering around him, been following him, and he's gotten big crowds, and now he's starting to say, what does it really mean to follow me? Who am I? And that's what people are trying to figure out. Some of you might know, what is the great um, continental divide? I lived in Colorado for a bunch of time, and so we went to the continental divide. There are many continental divides, but there is one large continental divide that goes all the way from Canada down all the way through Mexico. It's mountain ranges usually, and the mountain range that takes up the part in Colorado is the Rocky Mountains. And if you go to the divide, this is what happens, they say. You could drop water on one side of the divide, and then conceivably what happens is that water on the west side would all flow, the rivers and streams and brooks, all the way to the Pacific. And then if you were on the other side and you dropped water, it would flow all the way to the Gulf and to the Atlantic. The Great Divide. See, today we are at the Great Divide. We are at the peak of Jesus' conversations about himself. We're on that continental divide. Which way are you going to flow? It has consequences, doesn't it? One way flows thousands of miles that way, thousands, a thousand miles that way, and the other flows a thousand miles that way. So it matters which way you go. And that is where Jesus is in confronting us at. And these are the three questions I want to ask of you today. In which way you fall? Which way are you on the divide? Who does Jesus follow? And who do these leaders follow? That's one divide. The second is, what is Jesus' purpose? It's another divide. And then third, who does Jesus think he is but I get a greater question is who do you think he is now the answers to those questions might end us up all the way that way or all the way this way where do you fall the answers are important they have dramatic results so let's find out shall we what the results of these and what who Jesus says he is Well, before this section, there's been this large conversation about Abraham, and Abraham's an important figure, and they're wondering, Jesus is wondering, who is your father, the Jewish people's father? Who is his father? And they've been arguing, Abraham is our father. You might think, why is that a really big deal? Well, Abraham is kind of the huge figure of the Jewish people. Out of Abraham came the promise from God, this covenant, this commitment back and forth to each other. They said, from you, Abraham, will come the people, the Jewish people, will come the land, Israel, will come protection, will come my commitment to love and care for you. The promise came to Abraham. And those people wanted to be beneficiaries of that promise. And Jesus saying, you know what? Abraham is really not your father. Imagine, uh, you've had Packer tickets in your family for 70 years. Right. Three generations. You know how it goes, you get the different things going on, get the seats every year, you get new ones you can um, get for in Valley for, because people lose seats and you get new ones. So 70 years you've had tickets, so you've got seats on the 50 yard line. Well, you don't have them, your family does. But guess what? the tickets are going to be passed to you. But then someone comes along and says, you know what? You're really not a member of that family. What? How dare you tell me I'm not a member of that family? And then they take it a step further. You know what? You're really not a Packer fan either. You're a Bears fan. And that, that, what is that? That's blasphemy, people. That is blasphemy. You see, that is the same thing that is happening here. Jesus says, you know what? Abraham isn't your father. The devil is your father. He takes it even further. Whoa. The devil is our father? Yes, Jesus says. He, the father of all lies, you have bought into. He says you can be like God, and you bought into it. He says you will not die, but I tell you, you will in your sins. Talk about escalating the division. That's what Jesus does. And this is stuff you don't get on PBS, right, about Jesus? You don't get on the flannel graph in Sunday school in the morning. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. And I wonder, an argument that I've heard, my roommate Jeremy, we had fun conversations, he said, you know, really, the message of Jesus is just propaganda by the disciples. They just brought propaganda and it caught steam, and then you got the religion of Christianity. An argument I give back to him, he says, you know, Jeremy, I wonder about that argument because if you are trying to get people to follow your religion, especially Jewish people that have spread throughout the Roman Empire, and those are the people you're talking to first because that's what the disciples did. They went to synagogues. Why would you make these statements? Why would you make this up? Why would you say that Jesus would call their father the devil? This would be on the chopping block, right? This is stuff you say, okay, let's, let's leave the stuff that Jesus said here out, okay? Unless it's true, unless he actually said it. Some people will argue, well, John was just saying these things because he had something against the Jews. The thing is, what, history isn't, what they don't see is that in history, all the disciples were Jewish. John, the writer of this, was Jewish. And again, they went to synagogues first. So John isn't making a judgment about the ethnic group of Jews. Instead, he's making a judgment against the leaders of the Jewish people, about their decisions of what they're doing right there. That is what he's making a comment towards not towards the ethnic people. Is Jesus divisive? Sure seems like he is, doesn't it? I mean, calling people children of the devil, that's not a way to win friends and influence people. But why would Jesus say earlier in John three seventeen? God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. Sure seems like he's condemning here. Please follow this train of logic here. See, Jesus, in talking to these leaders, goes back to the garden. Goes back to what happened in the garden. The lie that was given to the first of humanity. If You follow me, you surely won't die, says the serpent. You will be like God. See, Jesus didn't cause the division, the division was already there. Humanity had already broken off their relationship with God, they had already followed the lie. They had already said, Oh, we can be like God. We will not die in our sins. See, what Jesus is doing here is he's reclaiming what is the Lord's. That other part of the world, that is all a vapor. That will all go away. That will all disappear. That is not the way the world was supposed to be. I am reclaiming how the world is and how I made it, which is relationship with me. You see, I am exposing the division that you created, the lies that you bought. I am being so harsh to wake you up, to make you alive, to see that you've been living a lie. You created the division. I'm reclaiming what is mine. Come on in. You take Jesus so seriously. He's a good guy, yeah. He's a good teacher. Yeah, he's 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 so saying, but come on, don't take him so seriously. This is the continental divide. Are you gonna take him seriously? Or not? Are you going to follow the lies that says, oh, I'm going to let the world flow the way I think. I can save myself. You know, we can rescue the world. Religions and morals, if I just live a good life, that will get me there. That will be fine. I'll tell you where that water flows. The desert. And Jesus says, if you follow me, that is the real rescue. And you know where that flows? The ocean. Maybe who you follow has great implications. Well, the theological arguments of the leaders have kind of run dry. Now it's time for personal abuse, right? Ad hominem attacks, right? That's what you do in debates, you know? When you just can't get anywhere, just call someone a name. And that's what happens. Verse 48, the Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Whoa. First of all, calling him a Samaritan is an ethnic slur. Calling someone the N-word, that's how bad it was. The Samaritans, you see, they were what the Jews called half-breeds. They weren't really followers of God. And so... To call Jesus Samaritan is to call him a half breed, not truly, truly a Jew. And then, you know, say he has a demon. You see how crazy this guy is? He's possessed. He can't even think straight. He has a demon inside of him, spreading lies. In a culture of honor and shame, this is huge. You see, it doesn't matter if you have lots of money or lots of fame or lots of power. You could have all those things, and if you have shame, you are nothing. And here they are shaming Jesus. But Jesus' response is so good. Verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father, and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see me. Death. What is Jesus' purpose? It isn't his own honor. See, he says, My honor doesn't come from me, it comes from the Father. My goal and my purpose is to glorify him. That is what I'm doing here. It's interesting. Jesus makes all these egocentric statements, so many egocentric statements. But at the same time, he's the most unselfish, humble person ever to walk the face of the earth. Jesus is not the first person to claim deity in this world, right? There's plenty of people who have done that. And there will be plenty of people that will, you know? You see what happens to those people that call themselves God or seek a great name for themselves. They seek power or concubines or money. And look at the Moonies, Jim Jones, David Koresh. But you see, that's not Jesus. He came to give his life to his followers, to humble himself, to do something that they could not do, suffer and separate himself from the Lord so that we might have life. See, come on, are these, these statements helpful, Jesus? You say you're going to conquer death, that those people follow the devil. That's not helpful to say those things about yourself unless it's true. You see, also, the truth is found in the, in the motive of Jesus. His motive is pure, he lays down his life, he loves his enemies. His virtues show that he is obedient, that he is the obedient son of God. And what is the character of these other people? They seek to kill and maim and to destroy. That is their motives. Jesus comes to bring life. They come to bring death. Daryl Davis He's a blues musician, famous blues musician, piano player. And he has had many, many heated conversations. He's got it into the fray. And people have attacked him, thrown punches at him, tried to kill him, you know, death threats, all those kind of things. And it's not because he's a, a mean jazz musician. No, it's because Daryl befriends members of the KKK. And Daryl is black. Daryl has all these pictures of him with his arm around KKK members with their hoods on and their robes on. One guy, he called the head of the KKK in Maryland. He made a phone call to him. He said, hey, I'm doing a book. Would you mind sitting down with me and talking about the KKK? He didn't tell me he was black. He showed up. And this guy was taken aback. His name was Roger Kelly. And Daryl and Roger became friends. And Daryl made Roger the godfather of his daughter. After that, Roger gave his KKK robe to Daryl and said, I'm leaving. I'm done with the KKK. And Daryl says, one day, I will hang that robe up in the KKK museum. Can you believe a KKK museum? <laughs> I'll hang it up there to show that reconciliation is possible. Why does Daryl enter into conversations like this? Why does he enter the fray and the fight and all those things? Because he's a Christian. And he says, I was an enemy of God, but he made me a friend. How much more should I love my enemies? Do you see the purpose of Christ? His purpose was to lay down his life. And that's why we can look at these statements that he makes and says, it is true. He can say this about us. He can say this about himself because that is his nature. And he loves us and cares for us. There is his purpose. Well, We can't make the claims that Jesus can, but we can be the recipients of them, can't we? Knowing that we have life in Christ, we have those benefits that when divisiveness happens, adversity happens, enemies, enemies come, that we can respond knowing our identities in Christ and we can respond with peace and patience and kindness like the disciples, like Daryl. You think he's done, right? Jesus, you have said enough, man. Just end this conversation. But he just keeps going. He says, they say to him, are you greater than our father Abraham who died and the prophets died? Who do you make make yourself out to be? Who do you think you are would be the message translation, right? Who do you think you are? You say you can't make people die? Listen, the greatest of all of our people, Abraham and the prophets, they died. And you're saying you can't? And then Jesus says, verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Whoa. Jesus is saying that Abraham saw, the translation is the day, which means the day of the Lord. That Abraham saw the day of promise, saw the day of the Messiah, saw the day of salvation, saw when he brought Isaac up that mountain to kill him, his own son, that the angel stopped him. That was him seeing the day there would be another sacrifice to save his son. There would be another sacrifice to save his people. And that day would come. And it has arrived. He saw it in Jesus. Jesus is saying, I am the Messiah. I am the salvation. I am the sacrifice, the promise, the covenant fulfilled in the people of Judaism. Here I am. You know what the leader's response could be? They could say, they could respond to the idea of, oh, you're the Messiah? Yeah, right. But they take the more comical route. What do they say? You are not yet 50 years old. And you have seen Abraham? Saying... Wait, you say you're old enough that you actually existed during the time of Abraham? You're not that old. That's the route they take, trying to maybe laugh it off. But Jesus presses, probably in one of the most profound statements of his nature in anywhere in Scripture. He doesn't respond, oh yeah, I am the Messiah. Oh, yeah, I was around during Abraham. He could have responded in that way. But he responded in such a way that these individuals did not have a trial, not do anything like that. No, right there and then, they picked up stones to kill him. What could he have said to cause such a visceral reaction? He's called himself Messiah before and they haven't tried to kill him. What did he say here that was so crazy? Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. You see, when Moses saw the burning bush and asked, who are you, God? Who are you? How does God respond? I am. Jesus is saying, I have no birth. I have no beginning. I am the Alpha. I am the Omega. I created you. I created this world. I am God Himself. I encourage you when a Jehovah's Witness person comes over or a Mormon comes over who believes Jesus was created. Many of us have been taught, go to John 1.1. 1, 1. Go to this one. I remember sitting down with a Jehovah's Witness and sitting down and read this to him and he was like, whoa. I, he said, I'd never seen this before. Yeah, Jesus is God. See, Jesus doesn't make divisions on political lines. He doesn't make them on cultural grounds. He doesn't make it on religious grounds. Jesus makes the division on who he is. Who do you say he is? That is the great divide. You cannot get away from preaching on this passage and not quoting C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. A famous quote, but I'm going to read it. It's very poignant, and he probably sums up all I've said over this time better than I could. Here's what Lewis says. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, they say but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Tim Keller says it even more poignant. You either have to kill him or crown him. You can't say, Oh, what an interesting guy. Oh, man, he does so many good things. We can just follow his good teachings. He loves people. That's great. Hug Jesus. No. Bow at his feet and say, you are God. You have saved my life. And apart from you, I will die. Is Jesus divisive? Well, in those kind of political terms, not really. In terms we think about in our society, n- n- No. But he's even more divisive in this sense. That he's at your heart and where you are and where you stand with him. He wants to know the divide that you fall on. What is your source of water? Which way will it flow? I'm telling you, if you fall apart from Jesus, that water spout will end. It will dry up and it will die. And it will lead you to nothing but destruction in the desert. But if you go to the one that is the everlasting stream, the everlasting water, he will give life and meaning. And purpose to you because what he has done for you and that will be a stream that flows to eternity into the ocean that we will sail across one day and we will meet our father in heaven and we will say yes your son was you and we bowed at his feet and we crowned him lord of lords king of kings let us pray Heavenly Father, you know the continental divide in each of these people's hearts. You know Christians that say they've followed you for many, many years, that still wrestle with this, who they should bow their knee to. God, this message is for all of us, that every day we would know that you are king and we would follow you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Well, let's continue in worship, let's stand and sing.